Okay, we are continuing our series in the New Testament letter of Thessalonians, uh, going through both letters, and we found our way into the last part of 1 Thessalonians, Thessalonians chapter 5. So do grab your Bibles, so good to uh, follow along, and we're going to pick it up in chapter 5, verse 12 to the end. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive encourage the disheartened, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the spirit, Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful. He will do it. Brothers and sisters, pray for us. Greet all God's people with a holy kiss. I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers and sisters. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Father God, we thank you for these, uh, these words of yours that you've inspired to be written and to encourage us, and not just to encourage the Thessalonians, but to strengthen us, to knit us together as a family, as your family, as the family of God. And I pray that you do that, that as we dwell upon it now, that you would knit us together, Lord Jesus, more closely we pray. Amen. Okay. I wonder what your family was like growing up. We've, um, we've had a load of sort of family rules sort of here, some family guidelines. Um, and I wonder what sort of guidelines or rules your parents maybe put in place for you uh, growing up. I think for me, there were uh, obvious rules of like, don't hit your brothers or your sister, obvious rules like that. Um, things about not snatching, about using kind hands. I don't know if that's a more recent sort of phrase that we use with our kids. You know, use kind hands with your uh, siblings. Um, rules about tidying up after yourselves. I wonder if you can think about what those things that your parents would just repeatedly again and again and again, like a broken record saying time after time. I wonder Young people, what, what would those things be that your parents are, uh, you know, again and again just saying uh, to you? And you think, oh, you've said it before. You've said it again. Like, you know, th- these rules, these guidelines for family life. Now, in family life, these rules, these guidelines are all to maintain the peace of the family. 
aren't they? They're, they're to enable life to flourish. They're to enable actually the relationships within the family, whether that be parents, kids, siblings, uh, the, the, the marriage the, the, between spouses. It's to keep the peace and to enable the flourishing of the family. Now, what we have here in these final instructions from Paul to the Thessalonians are a load of rules, a load of guidelines that we as church family, as brothers and sisters, are to take serious, um, uh, 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 what would be the word, just to take seriously, to put into practice, to ensure that the, their peace is maintained within the family. So you'll, you'll see again, maybe you spotted it, uh, but Paul repeatedly says, brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters. It says there in uh, verse 1 of chapter 5, which is before what I read, uh, it says it in verse 12, where he says, uh, brothers and sisters. Um, verse 14, brothers and sisters. Uh, again and again, there's this family dynamic, and we as church family, as those who have been bought by the blood of Jesus, have been bought into a family. We have our Father in heaven, but we also have brothers and sisters. We have one another. And if you're saved, if you know Jesus, that's what you've been bought for. It's for relationship with the Father and relationship with one another. And all of this all of these instructions, as we go through some of them, we haven't got time to go through uh, all of them, but as we go through them, just keep in mind that this, this is for the peace of the family. It's recognizing, God recognizes that where, where there's family, there's potential for friction, there's potential for tension, there's potential for falling out, for disagreements, for not loving one another, not listening well to one another. So it's good for us, even as church family, to be reminded of this. That even amongst us, there could be times where we misunderstand one another, where we don't do well in loving one another, being kind and considerate to one another. And we can fall out and we can, um, sometimes that might be quite public, sometimes it might just be, oh, I'm going to not talk to that person again, or I'm going to keep my distance from them. I'm not going to pursue them for, for good relationship. So, Paul talks about two main relationships in here. The first relationship that he talks about is towards leaders in the church, and the second relationship that he talks about is towards one another. So, we see in verse 12, Paul says that we ask you, brothers and sisters, to respect uh, those, uh, well, to acknowledge those who work among you, or, or to respect those who work among you and who care for you in the Lord, and who admonish you. In the ESV translation, it says, uh, to respect those who labor among you, and are over you in the Lord, and admonish you. And then it goes on in verse 13, to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. So who is Paul talking about here? Paul is primarily, he's got the, the leaders, the elders in mind here. Okay, so here at City West, you've got my, myself and Paul, uh, Stuart here, and Steve, uh, who was hosting uh, the meeting. And Paul is saying that, look, where you've got a church and you've got elders in place, that for the church family, it's, it's your part to play to keep the peace in the family, to respect and to highly esteem in love the leaders that God has put in place before you. So he's talking about elders, he's talking about those who, who labor among you. He's, he's saying that 
I mean, this, this dynamic of laboring, it's, if you think about farming, especially farming 2,000 years ago, hard work. Like, there were no combine harvesters. There was no, uh, there was no machinery, uh, like, with, with electrics and, uh, mach like, machines that would uh, do fields in a fraction of the time. We're talking about hard manual labor. And he's saying that the, the work of an elder in terms of loving and caring for the flock and admonishing and disciplining and bringing correction and teaching and loving and caring for the flock is one of toil. It's one of labor. It can often be hard work. It's, it's not a nine to five job where you just clock off at, at five and go, well, for the evening, I don't care about the flock. <laughs> I'm just going to forget about them. No, it's, it's, it's the whole of life. We as elders care deeply for you. And that, that care, as you would recognize with your own family, maybe with siblings or kids or parents, whatever happens within church, like within your family, you don't switch off from those relationships. We care deeply for you. We labor in preaching and teaching the word, visiting the sick, counseling, marrying, um, and it's a privilege, but it is a labor. It is a labor of love. So Paul is saying, okay, those who labor among you, speaking about elders, I think also more, maybe more broadly speaking about co-workers uh, in, the, in, um, in the work of the gospel. So Paul regularly talks. If you look at Romans 16, that is a list of men and women who are co-workers in the gospel, who labor alongside the elders. Often they're, 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 they're called deacons often. They're those who come in alongside elders to serve and to labor alongside. And I think Paul is saying, look, respect them, obviously. We're to respect all of our leaders and those uh, that we uh, serve. And, um, but just speaking maybe specifically here about elders, co-workers. Um, so, yeah, respect, highly esteem in love. Uh, Paul talks about those who are um, there to admonish those who are over you in the Lord. And I think in our culture, that can come with a load of baggage, can't it? Just that sense of uh, abused authority. And uh, just where leaders or people who uh, maybe family members or people in the workplace uh, or in other settings have abused authority. Um, and so that sense of being over you in the Lord can come with a load of baggage. But where we take our example for leadership, for authority, is Jesus. And Jesus laid down his life for the sheep. He didn't lord it over people. He wasn't there to abuse people, to take advantage of people. He served and loved by laying down his life for the sheep. And so I think, hopefully, as you see us as elders do that, for you. Hopefully that provides then an environment for you to be able to respect and highly esteem. And it's not that we always get it right. It's, it's not that you might think, oh, why did you decide to do it that way? Or why have you not done that? But there's a respect, there's a, a love, uh, there's an esteeming uh, of the elders. Can you see this is a little bit tricky to talk about as a, <laughs> as a leader, as an elder, um, but just bringing the word before you. Um, Great. Okay. 
I just want to say, you guys do a great job of this. <laughs> I always want to encourage um, and spur on. Um, but also want to just encourage you to guard your hearts where there might be times where you feel, um, you know, uh, like, oh, don't, uh, don't agree with that thing or I don't agree with that decision or maybe it might be at times hard to respect or highly esteem. just want to encourage you to guard your hearts um, in that. The second relationship that Paul talks about then moving on in verses 14 to 15. It says, We urge you, brothers and sisters, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. So there are three groups of people here that Paul is drawing out, and he's calling us to move towards these people in love. That's the motivation, he, he, he says here. He, he wants uh, urging them, be patient with them. Don't repay anyone evil uh, for evil, but seek to do good. This is the, the very essence of love. Even when those around you might be making your life more difficult, actually to move towards someone for their good is the ultimate expression of love. It's what Jesus did for us at the cross, that we didn't deserve to be saved, that we'd turned our backs on God, we'd sinned, fallen far short of the standard that was required for a a right relationship with God. And yet it was in that moment, when we were in that place, that Jesus died for us. And we take that as our example as we move towards one another in love. And these three things, they're for us to do with one another. So we're moving away from, you know, this, the dynamic of, of church family and the leaders, and we're moving towards one another. How are we to relate to one another? And he says three things. Admonish the spiritually disobedient, encourage the spiritually struggling, and help the physically struggling. So we've got three uh, groups here. Firstly, admonish the spiritually disobedient. So this is, uh, these are those people, and thankfully we as, as a church, we've, we've not had a huge um, experience of this, but these are people who are unruly, disruptive. In, in the Thessalonian church, there were people who were being unruly and disruptive. They were trying to uh, preach false gospels, trying to bring divisions into the church, trying to separate people uh, away from uh, the gospel that Paul had preached. And so Paul is saying, look, these people... As church family, as brothers and sisters, we all have a responsibility to move towards those people in love by admonishing them. And this deal of admonishing them, it's, it's to, um, it's to uh, point out error, it's to, uh, it's to uh, in love, go to, like this, you can't follow Jesus and do this. Like, this is not good. This is not right. This is not promoting peace within the church. Look, what you're saying actually is drawing those brothers or sisters away from uh, good godly living, or it's putting them away from uh, following the leaders that are in place. And so it's right and good, and there are times where actually we have to move towards one another to admonish one another. Matthew 18 is a great model that God has given us for that, where Jesus says to just one of you, just go. 
like try and win the brother or sister back. Just, just go, go to them privately. Don't make it a big deal. Don't, uh, don't like gossip with other people about it. Just go straight to the person. Love them. Win them back. Try to understand what's going on for them, but point them to Jesus. Jesus goes on to say, look, if they don't listen with the heart that you want to win them back, t- take another brother or sister with you. Maybe then they'll listen, and then eventually tell it to the church. And there are very, very few times in, in the church family life where, where this has to happen. This isn't the norm, but Jesus is giving us this, uh, this model for admonishing one another. And it starts off small, and if the person is, has a, a heart that is, is humble and repentant, they'll go, gosh, I didn't realize what I was doing. Thank you so much for pointing that out. The escalation that Jesus is going through really just, uh, if it needs to escalate, it's really just pointing out a prideful heart in the person that they're not willing to submit to, to Jesus, to God's word. Um, and um, our heart in it has always got to be to, to love, to listen, and to point them back to Jesus. So admonish the spiritually disobedient. Encourage the spiritually struggling. These are the faint-hearted people. For the Thessalonians, they were experiencing a huge amount of persecution for their faith. Uh, They were being uh, mocked, beaten, taken advantage of. Um, I'm sure there are times really in our lives where, you know, for, for being a Christian... You might get taken advantage of, or you, someone might speak badly about you, or you might get passed over for a promotion, or there might be just, you might feel like the, the, the whole um, sort of swathe of culture is moving against what you believe. Maybe you experienced that at school, and just, the, just that sense of, um, you know, with friends, it's uh, like, they just seem so different, got a huge number of different beliefs and ways of looking at the world, and it can be difficult to um, it can be difficult to stand firm in our beliefs. Paul is wanting us to encourage the spiritually struggling, those who might be buffeted by life, buffeted by situations and circumstances. We all need the encouragement, don't we, of one another? We've been in a a tough season uh, just as a family, but I know I personally have just so valued the encouragement of Jamie um, and Steve, just brothers getting alongside me, um, just pointing me to Jesus, being around, being present. Um, Just there was one tough day. I mean, it's been many tough days, but just there was one tough day and um, uh, just Jamie was just like, I'm coming around this evening. Uh, Beth had sorted some flapjacks out, I think it was, and um, some stuff for the kids and just loving us. That was amazing. And I know Jude, Liz, has been so blessed by you, Liz, just encouraging words, just spurring us on. And Stuart and Lynn have had us around uh, for two stints in their house. We've basically been out of our house having renovation work done. It's taken a lot longer than we'd hoped. But just, just been so blessed by the encouragement of brothers and sisters. So I just want to urge you, be on the lookout for those who are struggling. This is the gospel. Jesus went after the people who were on the edge, those who were bruised and battered by life. Think of the woman at the well. Just lived a life far apart from God. God went 
after her. In Matthew 12, 20, it says that a bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out, till he has brought justice through to victory. Let us pursue this type of love for one another to encourage the spiritually struggling and to not, like that, that might be a lifetime <laughs> of love and care for one another. You might think, oh, like, are we there again? Are, we, are you struggling again? No, let's move towards one another in love and kindness as Jesus does to us. And thirdly, to help the physically struggling. So to help the weak, this is probably, this category is probably more about illness, maybe economic difficulty, people losing their jobs, struggling uh, to pay the bills. Uh, This has got just huge rings back to Acts 2, where it describes the early church uh, community as looking out for one another in every single way, selling property, giving it to the elders, distributed among the poor, the widows were looked after. Uh, basically, there was no one who had any need. That was amazing. Let us strive to be that sort of church. As you hear need, whether it be an illness and someone needs some physical help, or whether it's financial and someone needs some financial help, if you are able, move towards one another to meet those needs. Let's not view our uh, property or our our, um, our possessions and our money as our own. Let's view them as God's, and we're just stewards to distribute those to those in need, to look around for need around us. I think just a practical thing, we're obviously still in the world of, of COVID. COVID is still uh, very much here. As, as people are uh, struggling, even in church family, um, with that at the moment, let's, let's look for ways to care for one another. As maybe people have to isolate um, can't get groceries as easily or need some medicine or uh, just would benefit from a phone call or something. Let's move towards one another in love. So what are the defining characteristics of our love? Well, Paul gives us these. He says, be patient with them all. And he says, doing good, not evil, even when we receive evil. So when we might admonish someone, we might move towards uh, them in love. We might uh, be uh, met with, with anger. We might be met with uh, a shut door or, or just a, a cold. Uh, we might get frozen out. Um, you might help someone with their finances only to find out that they're lying to you about their finances. You might stand with someone over many years but see them turn away from Jesus Paul says, be patient with them all. Let me encourage us. Let's dwell richly on God's patience for us. That's the only way we can be patient with one another. It's the only way. It's the only way. Without God's strength, without without his empowering and enabling Holy Spirit, and without dwelling daily on his patience for us, that's how we can move towards one another in love and patience. Okay. So these are the relationships. I mean, it's intensely practical. 
these final uh, instructions. They're quite bitty um, in a sense. I think Paul is just trying to get a load of stuff off his chest. He's not, uh, he was rushed away from Thessalonica uh, because of a mob that had forced him out of the, the, the city. And, um, but he had a deep affection for them. I think he's just writing down a load of stuff. Look, don't, like, don't forget this. This is really important. Keep peace amongst yourselves as you're being persecuted, as you're struggling financially, or you're, you're just new believers in the faith and you're struggling spiritually. These are the things to remember. And in verse 23, just to sort of tie this together, Paul says, May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. There's such assurance there in Paul's words. There's no doubt there. He's defining God as the God of peace and he's saying that God is faithful And he will do it. God is the one who ties us and knits us together. He's the one who maintains peace in the family. He is the God of peace. Our peace with one another must be rooted in God's peace and in the gospel. There's no other place for it. At the very core of who God is, is peace. In the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, three persons, one God, there is perfect peace and union and communion within the Godhead. In 1 Thessalonians, we see that the the Father is described as the God of peace. In Isaiah, the Son is described, Jesus is described as the Prince of Peace. In Colossians, it says that Jesus made peace by the blood of his cross. And in Galatians, peace is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Peace runs right through the Godhead. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is the source, the sum, the goal of the peace that he wants in his church. Jesus died for the peace in the church. He died for the relationships with one another. He died to bring unity to the church. To have a bride for himself that has not got fractions and and bad heart and uh, disagreements, but to bring unity and to bring peace to one another. To bring love. There's no disorder, no disruption or contradiction in the works of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. So our lives in Christ and our responsibilities towards one another must be rooted in the gospel. If we do not grasp this, our lives will be one of frustration. They'll be one of, of, uh, as we move towards one another and maybe experience uh, pushback or or maybe it's not received well, well, we'll get frustrated with that and we might even just move towards one another in empty hearted moralism just where well God says to do it so I've just got to do it but inside there's there's no affection there it's just hard hearted moralism 
as we pursue the God of peace, as we let his peace dwell in our hearts, we can then move towards one another in an affectionate obedience of one towards one another. So let us embrace that peace that Jesus brought for us at the cross. Let us dwell richly in it. He bought us this peace, peace with God at the cross. And we might now move towards one another in peace and loving kindness. God is a God of grace where we've got this wrong. Even maybe presently where we maybe have felt the Holy Spirit convict us of some relationships or something uh, in relationships with one another that's not been right or we might need to apologize for or move towards one another in listening to one another. God's a God of grace. He forgives. He loves. He still wants us to move towards one another, not just, you know, we don't just receive the grace and store that for ourselves. No, we, we take that grace and we extend that to others. But he is a God of grace. So we do come to him knowing that we will receive forgiveness, knowing that we'll receive kind words to say, look, I love you, I'm for you, I'm with you, I will help you. Okay, should we stand? Nathan, if you would come back, that would be great. I want to encourage us to, uh, to be following up uh, this in our life groups. Um, as I say, intensely practical. Intensely practical. Life group leads, I'm going to just send out a few questions on the, on the WhatsApp group, um, hopefully in the next couple of days, just so you guys can uh, follow up with this. Um, but just, I think it's just good to share with one another about the, the highs, the lows of this sort of thing, of how, do we, uh, how have we done well in this in the past? How have we maybe not done so well in being vulnerable uh, with one another? How can we spur one another on to love and good deeds uh, with one another? Have conversations in your families with it, uh, guys, and radiate. Have conversations with your parents about this, with one another, about what does that look like for my relationships with those around me. Um, yeah, Lord Jesus, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your kindness towards us. I am so, so grateful for your peace over me. I'm so grateful that I am at peace with the Father that I know that I'm not at odds with you, that you've pursued me with a love and an affection and a, a deep-rooted pursuit that I could never have earned or deserved. Your love for me is great. And your love for us is great. You've pursued every single one of us, and we thank you for that. I do pray that uh, in the coming months and years that peace would be maintained in the family, that we'd move towards one another in love and kindness, that where we see sin, we would, we would move towards the person and, and show them in your word that that's not good, it's not right, that's not what it looks like to follow Jesus, and that we would love and highly esteem the, the, the leaders and the, the elders uh, and the co-workers in, in the church. Lord, lead us in this, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
Well, let's respond. Let's dwell on uh, as, we, as we sing. Let's dwell on his peace. Let's dwell on his goodness. Let's drink in uh, what he has for us. Let's not be too quick necessarily to respond to one another. I want us to take uh, a moment and some time to, to make sure we receive God's kindness towards us. But sure, after a while, maybe afterwards, maybe in the week, if there are relationships you, uh, and things you want to do uh, to talk to one another or to bless one another, to encourage one another, the faint-hearted, the sh- those who are struggling the, the week, let me urge you, let's do that. Let's be on the front foot uh, with doing that.